0: Again, glad you're here. Hope you have a Bible with you. We're going to look up a number of different passages tonight, so have it handy. There are notes in the back and a few at the front if you'd like to track along. Our Wednesday night series is titled The Bible, and on the front end of spring break, we're asking the question, What is it that we actually believe about the Bible? How would we fill in the blanks when it comes to the doctrine of Scripture? And these are the topics that we're talking about. We've already talked about inspiration and inerrancy and perspicuity last week, uh, the clarity of Scripture. Tonight, we're talking about the question of the authority of Scripture, the authority of the Bible. And then in the weeks ahead, we'll talk about necessity, sufficiency, power, unity, In the beauty of the Bible. On the other side of spring break, we're going to talk about hermeneutics or Bible interpretation. When you actually open this book, now that you know what we believe about it, how do you actually make sense of it? How do you read it? What are the rules for understanding what the Bible says and how it applies to our lives? So our topic tonight is the authority of the Bible. We are one month, roughly, into 2021. I thought to myself today that some of you may be longing for a memento to help you remember 2020, and so I have a suggestion for you. You can buy these online. These are dumpster candles to remind you of the dumpster fire that was 2020. I have no idea if the scent is burning garbage or if it's uh, lovely orchid or summer rose or who knows what it may be, Uh, but maybe you'd like one of these to remember last year. 2020 taught us a lot of different things. We could just spend an entire evening cataloging uh, things that we learned last year. One of the things that was on display in the year 2020 is the fact that Americans, and we could broaden this to just say human beings, but Americans do not like to be told what to do. Is that fair? Some of that is just our DNA, right? The founding of our nation. You're not going to tell us what to do, and if you try, we're going to start a war over it, and that's just kind of part of the American psyche. We value individual liberty very highly, uh, but it's not just an American thing. It's a human thing. Uh, We do not like to be told what to do. We do not like naturally to submit to authority. And I'm going to list a few things here. I'm going to list these without political commentary. I'm just going to give you some examples that you saw last year, 2020, of people not wanting to be told what to do. Uh, For a large part of the year, you saw riots, and you saw people defying police, defying authority, uh, burning, looting, doing all sorts of crazy things. Uh, You saw people getting very upset, protesting about state shutdown orders. And you had people in our own city openly saying, we will not do what you're telling us to do. We're not going to do that. And we're not even trying to hide the fact that we're not going to do that. We want you to know, in fact, that we're not going to do that. We had people upset about mask mandates or mask recommendations or mask whatever. Uh, People did not want to be told what to do. We had people arguing on both sides of the political aisle leading up to the end of the year about what they would do if someone else that they didn't vote for was actually elected president of the United States. Well, if that person gets elected, here's what I'm going to do because I'm going to push back on that authority. I'm not going to recognize that authority. And the other side said the exact same thing. And you had demonstrations and protests and all the mess that happened a few weeks ago, people not being uh, willing to submit to authority. You had people terrified about the Supreme Court last year in the replacing of a justice. And a lot of that terror, when you really boiled it down, was people thinking they're going to tell me what to do and what not to do. If you put this person or that person on the court, they're going to uphold laws that I don't like and I'm going to be told to do or not to do something that I completely disagree with and people were absolutely terrified by that prospect. All of those things on display in 2020, all of those things have been on display from the beginning. right? You see it in the opening chapters of the Bible, where God gives very clear instructions to Adam and Eve, "Don't eat of this tree." But it looks good. and it's desirable and I'm going to do it, right? That's the original pushing back on rightful authority. You see it in the days of Noah, people completely rejecting any divine authority over their lives. You see it at the Tower of Babel. We want to build a tower and make a name for ourselves. We want to be great and reach up into the heavens and push back against any divine authority that might exist. Here's the reality. For any civil society to exist there has got to be a fundamental respect for authority. It doesn't mean that authority goes wrong sometimes because sometimes authority does go wrong. Sometimes authority is tyrannical and sometimes authority is oppressive and sometimes the authority passes a law that's ungodly and unjust. But for any society to exist, there's got to be a basic understanding of authority and respecting authority. It's why there's a commandment about honoring your father and your mother. Right? God understands, as he's created the family unit, as he's created society, that respect for authority must begin in the home. That's where it has to start. And then it has to flow out to other rightful places. We need to be respectful of authority. We are Baptists, and historically, Baptists have said, we want to respect authority. All right, We want to respect authority in the home. We want to respect authority of the state. Most of the time, been Baptists who have disagreed with that in certain circumstances and certain historical settings. But most of the time, there's been a willingness to say we want to respect the authority that God has instituted over us. But Baptists have always been quick to say the highest authority in our lives is not family, and it's not even on a church type level, an ecclesiastical level, and it's not on a governmental level, a societal level. Baptists have historically said our highest authority is the Scripture. This is the final authority that all other authorities must line up to and that we will give our allegiance to. And when Baptists have said that, they're talking about the authority of the Bible. So let me give you an opening quote from a great Baptist theologian, Millard Erickson, thinking about the authority of the Bible. He says, by the authority of the Bible, we mean that the Bible, as the expression of God's will to us, possesses the right supremely to define what we are to believe, number one, and number two, how we are to conduct ourselves. That's the fundamental question that we're wrestling with tonight. Does this book have the right Does it have the supreme right to say to you and to me, number one, this is what you ought to believe, and number two, this is how you ought to live? I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert and say my answer is yes. The Bible has that right. It has the authority, the supreme right, the highest authority to say to us, this is how you come up with your belief system. And this is how you come up with your morality, your ethic. The Bible is our authority in those things. We've talked about a few pieces that are important over the last couple weeks for this doctrine. The authority of Scripture is rooted in the character of God and the inspiration of Scripture. When you think about why is it that the Bible has authority, there's two pieces of theology that would come together and lead us to this conclusion. Number one is the character of God, who God is. God, we believe, we read it in the scriptures, is the highest authority in the universe. In fact, you find this statement in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, says, When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. He is the highest authority in the universe. When he made a promise to Abraham, it's almost as if he looked around and said, who can I swear on to make sure that you know this is real? When you're in the sixth grade, you swear on your mother's grave, right? You think, well, my mother is greater than me. I love my mother. I'm going to swear on my mother's grave. God looked around. There was no one greater than him by which to swear, by whom to swear, So he swore by himself. Why? It's because he is the highest authority in the universe. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Every word of Scripture is God-breathed. And we've read 2 Timothy 3 a number of times already. All Scripture, Paul says to Timothy, is breathed out by God. And it's profitable. We're going to look at what it's profitable for here in a few minutes, when you take those two truths together and you say, okay, there is one supreme authority in the universe and it's God, and he has breathed out the words of this book, it only makes sense to come away saying, this book is my highest authority. The highest being in the universe breathed out these words, spoke these words, they carry his authority. Here's how you would make sense of this on a human level. Think about parents and children. I'll give you an entirely hypothetical situation from my house. Occasionally in my house, we have four kids. I walk into a child's room, and it looks like a bomb has gone off. And I think, I I don't know what happened in here, but something exploded. There's stuff everywhere. And so I look at the child who's ever uh, in possession of this room and this mess, and I say, pick it up. Pick it up. When I look at one of my children and speak directly to them and say, pick up the room, I have every expectation that the room's going to get picked up. Okay. Now, sometimes I come home, and who knows what's been going on. I come home, Brooke comes home, and you walk in, and like the whole house is a bomb went off. And I think, look, I don't need to go back in your room and see the mess. I know it's back there. I can feel it. I can sense it when I walk into the house. And the evidence is right here in the living room. And so in that instance, I might look at one of my kids and say, you need to pick this house up and you need to tell your siblings to pick the house up. They have a message to deliver, right? I haven't told all four of my kids to do it, but really I have told all four of my kids to do it. And it's up to them to decide, do I want to listen to that message or not? And they might look at that message and say, you know, that message was delivered by Amelia. She's really sweet. She's so nice. She wouldn't hurt anybody. She's just the sweetest thing ever. I'm not going to pick anything up. What they're not processing is Amelia's message is really not Amelia's message. It's dad's message. It's delivered through her. And it bears my authority. I promise it does. Because when I walk back there and I say, why isn't it picked up? We didn't know. (laughs) What? Who, Who said we were supposed to pick up? You want me to listen to Amelia? No, 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 no. I don't want you to listen to Amelia. But she's delivering a message on my behalf. You understand, that's what we're dealing with in the scriptures. We're dealing with a message that came through Moses and David and Isaiah and Paul and John and Mark. And you can say all you want. Look, I just want God to boom down from heaven and tell me X, Y, and Z. You're not going to get it. He's spoken, and this is the message. And you can say, well, it's just a human message. I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to recognize its authority. But it's God breathed. If you believe in the inspiration of Scripture, then you look to the Bible and you say, this is a message from God himself. It's not just from Isaiah. It's not just from Paul. It's not just from John. This message bears authority. Quote from James Boyce. He says, the Bible is something more than a body of revealed truths. It's a collection of books verbally inspired of God. It is also the living voice of God. When you read this book, you read God's words. God is speaking to you when you read this book. This is on your outline. Preaching and teaching that faithfully communicates biblical truth carries all the authority of scripture. Take your Bible and look at 2 Corinthians 5.20. I want to be very careful in how we talk about this because there's a lot of Church examples where this idea gets abused and the authority gets transferred from the Bible and the message of the Bible to the messenger himself. And that's not what we're talking about. I am not telling you that I, as a preacher, bear the authority of God. I don't. I don't have God's authority, I don't have divine authority. But look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. He says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent Him. We're ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When your Sunday school teacher or me or Corey or Hunter or Jake or whoever stands up and accurately delivers a message that reflects the truth of Scripture, that message bears God's authority doesn't mean that I always say what's right. It doesn't mean that if I tell you to go to my house after church and pick up my living room for my kids that you have to do it. I don't have that kind of authority. There's nothing in here about that. But when I look at you and say the Bible says repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that message, even if it comes through a flawed messenger, bears God's authority because it's a message that reflects the message of the Bible itself. That's a heavy weight if you're a teacher. If you're a Sunday school teacher, an Awana teacher, a BBS teacher, a parent, a grandparent teaching your kids, that's a heavy weight not to mess it up. It's a weight to understand understand what is the message of this book so that when I speak it to someone else, I speak it accurately. It's also a heavy, a heavy weight, a heavy responsibility when you sit in chairs like these and listen to someone speak. It's a weight and a responsibility that requires discernment on your part to actually search the scriptures and see if what I'm saying or Corey's saying or Hunter's saying or whoever's saying lines up with scripture. And if it does, what are you going to do about it? Are you just going to slough it off like it's your baby sister telling you to pick up your room? Are you going to receive it as if God is actually imploring you through the messenger? Wayne Grudem says this, The authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. One last thought, the authority of Scripture is a self-attesting truth that is not and cannot be proved by a higher authority. Why do we believe the Bible is our supreme authority? Because it says it is. If I pointed to any other thing or person to prove to you that the Bible is our highest authority, that person or thing would be our highest authority. And people laugh at Christians and they say, well, that's a circular argument. It's very convenient for you. You have this book. book says that it's true. book says that it's the highest authority. You take it at face value, but... How can you prove that? And our answer as Christians is, well, we can't prove it, but we believe it because that's what it says. If I could prove it by some other means, that other means would be our highest authority. And people laugh at Christians for this. Can we just be honest? People laugh at us. The world laughs at us because we we take this book. Some of the parts of this book are 2,000 years old. Some of the parts of this book are much older than that. And we look at this ancient book, a hodgepodge, 66 different books mashed together, and we say, that's our supreme authority. And the world looks at us and just laughs and says, you are a bunch of bumpkins. Here's the thing. You've got to have an authority. And the world can look at us and laugh that this is our authority. What's the world's authority in 2021? 2021? I just spent some time thinking about this. Right? If they're not going to accept the authority of Scripture, what would they accept? And the biggest, I think, most common denominator answer that I could come up with is that the world's authority is the opinion of the mob. That's the highest authority for the world. What does the mob think? Predominantly on social media. Let me get on social media. Let me see what most of the likes and the retweets and the all that stuff... Tells me how to think, how, how to feel, how, how to live, and that's what I'm going to follow. Is it abundantly obvious that that's a better source of authority than Scripture? A mob? We're just going to follow the whims of the mob to decide what I believe and what's right and what's wrong and how I'm going to live and how I'm going to raise my kids? It's not a great source of authority, but it's just sort of the de facto Source of authority for people in the world. What does the Bible actually say about its authority? Let's look at a few passages. Look at Genesis chapter 1. I know that you know these verses. But there's something special about reading them out of the scriptures. Genesis 1, verse 1, 2, and 3. The opening words of the Bible, among other things, are telling you that God's word bears ultimate authority. This is what the Bible says in the beginning. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. You understand, in the omnipotence of God, He could have created any way that He saw fit. The way that He saw fit was by speaking words. And in the very first paragraph, the very first verses of the Bible, if you stop and read it, you come away saying, The Word of God has authority. When He says it, it happens. He keeps saying things and it keeps happening. His word is powerful. His word has authority. Look at Psalm 119. We read out of Psalm 119 a minute ago. Longest chapter in the Bible. All about the Bible. Psalm 119, look at verse 34. We can look at so many verses in Psalm 119. Just look at a couple. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Heart. The psalmist approached the scripture and said, I want to keep it and I want to observe it. Not just externally conforming my life to it, but I want to keep it with my heart. I want to submit the very core essence of who I am to this book. I want it to govern everything about me externally and everything about me internally. Look at Psalm 119 verse 60. He says, I hasten and I do not delay to keep your commandments. In Psalm 119, commandments is one of the terms used to describe the Bible, the Word of God. And it's a reminder that this book is not filled with suggestions. It's filled with commandments. God is giving orders and he's telling you this is how you ought to live. Look at John 17. 17. Jesus' high priestly prayer. We're going to come to this passage in a few weeks on Sunday morning. John 17, 17. Jesus prayed, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is God the Son having a conversation with God the Father before he's crucified. And he's praying on our behalf. And he asked that the Father would sanctify his people. That he would make them holy according to the truth. And he says, your word is the standard, it's the expression of truth. God's word is the means of sanctification. You understand, sanctification is a process of change in your life. What Jesus is praying for is that God's word would have authority in the way that you think, in the way that you feel, in the way that you live, and the way that you talk, to change you into a different kind of person. Jesus is not affirming you as you are. He doesn't affirm me as I am. He loves us in spite of our sin, and he loves us enough to say, I'm going to pray for you that you would be sanctified and conformed according to the truth. And what is the truth? God's word. Words from the Father are the standard of truth. We have those words in the Bible. 2 Timothy 3. We referenced it earlier. Now let's read it. 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching. This book should teach you. It's profitable for reproof. When you read this book, it should be like looking in a mirror and recognizing you've got mustard on your face. Like it exposes you. This book is profitable for correction. Don't do that, do this instead. This book is profitable for training in righteousness. We don't train ourselves in righteousness. The Word of God trains us in righteousness. Every one of those terms speaks to the authority of Scripture. The Bible would be useful for none of those things unless it had ultimate authority. It does have that authority. Why? Verse 16, because it's breathed out by God and He's the supreme authority in the universe. These are his, his words, not just Paul's words, but God's words. Therefore, it's profitable, it's useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. What are some challenges to authority? I'm going to mention these quickly. We'll get to application. Challenges to authority. Number one is the church itself. This was the occasion of the Protestant Reformation. For centuries, uh, the church began to teach that it was the highest Most supreme authority, and that the church validated or created the Bible. And one of the things Luther said when he came along is the church didn't create the Bible, the Bible created the church. The church didn't create or decide what books would be in the Bible, the church simply recognized the books that God had inspired. There's a world of difference. You listen to the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown, Jesus Seminar, Discovery Channel, History Channel. They want you to believe that the church had this master plan to create a book that would give them power. The church didn't create a book. This book created a church. World of difference. Second challenge, the creeds. The creeds. This is from the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. They say, we affirm scriptures are the supreme written norm by which God binds the conscience and that the authority of the church is subordinate. The authority of the church is subordinate to that of scripture. We deny that church creeds, councils, or declarations have authority greater than or equal to the authority of the Bible, which would include this very statement. Right? We're making a statement as a council. And we understand that it pales in comparison to the Bible. That's the whole point of the statement. The Bible is the statement. That's what we believe. We need creeds. We need statements of faith. They explain what it is we believe about the Bible. They help us to make a distinction between false teachers and false ideas. We desperately need creeds and declarations from the church, this is what we believe, this is not what we believe. But those creeds and those statements are not our authority. The Bible is our authority. Thirdly, challenges to the authority of Scripture, political parties. This happens on the right, and this happens on the left. Politicians are equal opportunity offenders. There are politicians in this country who want to use the Bible to support their platform. What's ultimate is their platform. And they see the Bible as a means to support it and to gain favor with people. So they use the Bible to a greater end, and the greater end in their mind is the party and the platform. That's denying the authority of the Bible, and that's insisting on the authority of your platform. There are other politicians in this country who look you in the eyeball and they say, I am a practicing Christian. I just don't let my faith have anything to do with the way that I make decisions as a politician well how about that that's fantastic it happens on the right and it happens on the left both of them use the Bible for their own political end challenges to authority number four rationalism I'm not quoting here but I got this one and the next one from B.B. Warfield He lived in the early 20th century and uh, theological liberalism was on the rise. And what he meant by rationalism was there was a bunch of people in Warfield's day who said, we love this book. We love it. This book is inspired by God. And you remember a few weeks ago I told you there would be people who would look at you and wink when they said that and have their fingers crossed behind their back when they said it's inspired. That's what these theological liberals were doing. And what they were really doing was holding on to all of the Bible until science disproved parts of the Bible. And as soon as quote-unquote, air quote, science disproved anything in the Bible, they said, well, we're keeping the Bible, but not that. And then a few weeks later, well, we're keeping the Bible, but we're not this. And it just began to build and build and build. You wake up 100 years later, they don't believe any of it. Rationalism. Lastly, mysticism. In charismatic circles, this might be dreams, visions, prophecies. This is a major issue in most of the cults that have popped up since the Protestant Reformation. Somebody comes along and says, Look, I had a dream or a vision, the Lord spoke to me directly, and I know the Bible says this, but this is what I heard, and then they just run with it. Well, that's the new highest authority. In evangelical churches, it may not be dreams, visions, prophecies. It might just be feelings and promptings. It might be people who say, you know, I know what the Bible says, but this is a tough situation. I'm not sure how I really feel about it. I'm kind of processing the whole thing. What they're really telling you is my own feelings and inner sense of whatever is going to determine what my authority is, if it's the Bible or, ultimately, if it's me. How do we apply this doctrine to our lives? Number one, submit our thinking to the authority of God's Word. When it comes to God, when it comes to who we are, when it comes to salvation, morality, eternity, this is not, this is not a, a field of study where we're at liberty to just make stuff up as we see fit. It's certainly not a field of study where we just follow the mob wherever the mob may lead. I didn't put this on your notes, but I was thinking about it earlier. Paul in Romans 12, he says, "Do not be conformed to this world." That's not your authority, right? The a public opinion polls on social media aren't your authority. Doesn't matter what they say. Don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what's good, acceptable, and perfect. We've got to submit our thinking to the authority of God's word. Secondly, submit our living to the authority of God's word. We should obey God's word. When I say that, some of you get ants in your pants and you start thinking, oh, he's talking about work salvation. We don't believe in that. Oh, he's saying that you got to earn... Your... Now, I'm not talking about work salvation. I'm not talking about earning your way with God. I'm just acknowledging the fact that if this is the word of God spoken, and if God is the highest authority in the universe, if the Bible itself describes itself as commands... We should live our lives according to what's in this book. I know we don't do it perfectly. I know you're a sinner, and I know I'm a sinner. I know salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I know all of that. If you want to know how you can be saved, it's not obeying this book. It's by trusting in Jesus. But the point we're making here is this is God's word. We should live our lives according to what it says. Our thinking, our living, thirdly, our emotions. Submit our emotions to the authority of God's word. I challenge you sometime to read through the book of Psalms from beginning to end and highlight or circle or underline all of the times that it talks about emotions and the kinds of emotions that you ought to feel. And Americans read that and say, we, I can't control my emotions. They just come upon me. I see some picture or some movie and I just get all the feels and all the, all the stuff and it, I can't help it. Well, read the book of Psalms. It very clearly says you should feel this way and you should not feel this way. Submit our emotions to the authority of God's word. Fourthly, submit our families to the authority of God's word. There are people... Groups of people, individuals of people in the world in the year 2021 who have the stated mission of deconstructing the nuclear family and replacing it with something altogether different. It's their stated purpose. Is what they want to set out to do. To erase the definition of family that the Christian West, and I use that very broadly, has operated on for centuries That the Judeo-Christian tradition has recognized for millennia. To say we're done with that and we're going to define marriage, family, parenting how we want to define it. Well, You can follow the mob and you can see how that turns out. Or you can submit your thoughts of family to the authority of God's word. Last, submit our churches to the authority of God's word. Here's the deal. We can laugh at the Catholics and say, y'all are so crazy for thinking the church is over the Bible, and we can wag our finger at them. Listen, there are plenty of what we would call evangelical churches in the United States and the Bible Belt in Texas in Odessa who operate under the assumption, you know, church, we can define what that's like. We can make it whatever we want it to be. As long as the Bible says, don't do it, it seems like we ought to be free to try it, whatever we feel like. That's a complete denial of the authority of Scripture. The Bible actually has a lot to say about church and how it ought to operate, what you ought to do and what you ought not to do. Our goal should not be creativity in church. Our goal in church should be... Can we just get under the authority of this book as much as possible? Can we just submit to this book as much as possible? Can we listen to this book as much as possible? Can we sing about this book as much as possible? Can we talk about this book as much as possible? Submit our churches to the authority of God's word. I like this quote from Dockery and Nelson. They say, The ultimate concern in a discussion of Christian scripture is its authority. A view of the Bible that affirms its divine inspiration and total truthfulness is of little value if it is not accompanied by an enthusiastic commitment to the Bible's complete and absolute authority. You understand what they're saying? It's nice to talk about the inspiration of the Bible. That's great. It's important. It's good to talk about the inerrancy of the Bible and the truthfulness of the Bible. We ought to have that conversation. You can talk about all those things and nod your head to all the right doctrines, but if you are not going to enthusiastically submit yourself and your family and your church to the authority of God's Word, it really doesn't mean a hill of beans, right? It goes all the way back to that first quote I shared with you. Does the Bible have the right to tell us this is what's true and what you believe and this is the way that you ought to live your lives, And it really boils down to you've got two options, maybe three options. You can say the Bible's my authority. I'm going to believe what it says, and I'm going to live the way it tells me to live. Or you can set yourself up as the highest authority, and you can say I'm going to do and believe whatever it is that pops into my head. Right? That's the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Guess what? It was a dumpster fire. The only other option I know of is just to follow the mob, the popular voice. That might be an academic mob. That might be a left-wing mob. That might be a right-wing mob. That could be any number of mobs that are out there. You just follow the mob and go along with whatever it is they believe today. Be ready. They're going to change it tomorrow. So you better keep up. Guess what? You do that, it ends like 2020. It's a complete disaster. Listen to the difference between the book of Judges and some of the things that we saw in 2020 compared with somebody who recognizes the authority of the word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray.